I broke up with those girls for very good reasons. Oh, really? Yes. Really? What about Jill? She was in the Mafia. She was in the Mafia? Yes, the Cosa Nostra. The whole time we went out, she didn't tell me what she did for a living. Charlie, she was unemployed. She didn't have a job. Well, that's just a perfect cover now, isn't it? All right, all right. What about Pam? She smelled like soup. What does that mean? She smelled exactly like beef vegetable soup. Charlie, you're paranoid. Well, you weren't there. It's all in your head. No, no. It no, is. No, no. This year I've been to about four poetry readings and they have been good. It has been good to be in a room with people, people who care about poetry, getting exposed to different work, hearing stuff that I like, hearing stuff that I didn't expect to like, hearing stuff that I really didn't like. And it's been good to be around other people who care about poetry as well. And everyone I've spoken to at these things has said how happy they've been to be around poetry again in a group. And I believe them. At the same time, over the last couple of years, anytime I've had the opportunity to speak with a poet, I've asked them a question. Do you miss poetry readings? And I've had one immediate, unanimous answer. No. And my answer to that has been, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I don't really miss them either. Woman! Whoa! Man! Whoa! Man! She was a thief, you got a belief. She stole my heart and my cat. Betty, Judy, Josie and those hot pussy cats. They make me horny, Saturday morning. Girls of cartoons won't leave me in ruins. I want to be Betty's Barney. Hey, Jane, get me off this crazy thing called love. I was getting ready to perform at a poetry reading years and years ago, and my little brother was making fun of me, and he was referencing this scene and asking me whether I was going to be just like Mike Myers in So I Married an Axe Murderer. We know what a poetry reading feels like. The reason this scene is funny is because of the mix of terrible, terrible poetry and the seriousness with which everyone in the audience is taking that poetry. It's also obviously making fun of a particular trope, that of the beat poet, the Beats have a lot to answer for. And one of the many things they have to answer for is the fact that people out in the world, when they think of a poet, they think of a beat poet. Are you being sinister or is this some form of playing a practical joke? I'm trying to come to the point. I refuse to give up my obsession. America, stop pushing. I know what I'm doing. 
America, the plum blossoms are falling. America, I haven't read the newspapers for months. Every day somebody goes on trial for murder. America, I feel sentimental about the wobblies. <laughs> America, I used to be a communist when I was a kid. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I smoke marijuana every chance I get. So, yeah, the Beats have a lot to answer for, including the fact that they've set up this idea in people's minds of what a poetry reading is going to be like. Of course, if you've been to a poetry reading, you know, it's not like that. It's very often poorly attended, quite one way and static. I haven't heard an audience like that one at a poetry reading ever, I don't think. As somebody who ran a reading here in Melbourne for a couple of years, this has always been on my mind. This fact that we have accepted as a population of people who care about and read and write and perform poetry, we have accepted that the poetry reading is a certain way. But I don't think it has to be the way that it is. And I think right now, there's a chance that we could change all this. We have a, an opportunity right now. Because think about it, it's been two years, we've been variously on Zoom or not doing anything at all. In Melbourne, we've had these little flashes of freedom, so readings have come back. But what I find really, really interesting is that they've come back in basically the same form. But what we have right now is a totally clean slate. We never have to do a poetry reading again if we don't want to. And that's the other conversation I keep having with people, this conversation around, well, I'm so used to not going out now. I don't really know if I'll ever get the motivation to go out and, and do the stuff that I used to do. I think about the way that my life used to be before, back in 2019, I was running around from thing to thing. I don't think I'm going to do that again. I suspect slash worry that if we go back to running these events the way that we used to, There'll be this initial kind of wave of enthusiasm where everybody's going back out to do things because, I guess, a nostalgic factor, wanting to prove that these things have survived. But after a little while, people will remember, oh, this is the thing that I used to go to that I really didn't miss over the last two years. And I am not willing to sacrifice a whole evening to go to a thing that I don't actually enjoy. And that sounds really harsh, I know. I ran a poetry reading for about three years. It's hard work and it's totally thankless work as well. So everything I'm saying here is with that in mind. If you are listening to this and you are one of the other people who is out there doing this work or who has done this work at some point, I'm definitely not having a go at you. I know how hard it is, but I think one of the things that makes it really hard is that we all accept that a poetry reading goes a certain way and we never stop to think, do we want it to go that way? Is that good? Is it fun? Do we enjoy it? Or are we approaching it like we would 
an obligation of some kind. I don't think this has to be a chore. I really don't. But I do think there are some questions we need to ask now. And I think there are some basics, actually, that we need to cover or revisit so that whatever it is that we're doing next isn't just a repeat of what we were doing before. Get me off of this crazy thing called love. I'm also highly aware that I'm speaking to a very small section of my audience right now. This really is for the people who make these events. But I want to talk to you because like editors, you are holding the keys in your hands, the decisions that you make have knock-on effects for the people who write poetry, the people who care about poetry, and the people who currently hate poetry and have no interest in it. (laughs) Your work is going to affect them as well. And of course, if you disagree with what I'm about to say, or if you have other ideas, then I very, very much want to hear from you. So to unpack this, I came up with a list of about eight things that I think make a good poetry reading. And these are based on my own experience as a producer, as a performer, and also very much on things that people have said to me off mic over and over again. The complaints that people have about poetry readings, I'm flipping those around and try to turn them into a recommendation for how we could make this stuff just that little bit better, that little bit more appealing. And again, you may not agree with me and you may be listening to this as somebody who's running a poetry reading right now and doing something opposite to what I'm saying. And just know that everything I've listed here, I've done the opposite when I was producing my events. And so I know how hard it is. I really do. But let's get into it. Okay, the first thing that people come back to again and again and again when they talk about poetry readings and how how hard they are to sit through is that they're just too long. <laughs> I think a good poetry reading is blessedly short. Even the best reader of poetry, after about 10 minutes of listening to them, you are going to switch off your concentration can only take in this kind of language for so long. If somebody's not a great reader, and as we know, really good writers can be really poor readers. If somebody's not a great reader, you've got an even bigger problem. You are going to run out of concentration and focus in your audience even more quickly. Poets are very patient people. They will not tell you that your reading is too long, but... If you are going, I would say 45 minutes is your absolute maximum. If you're going over that, just know that you are probably testing the patience of at least half the people there. I went to this open mic once in London. Oh my God, there was 
I swear there were 50 plus people on the list of readers. It was in this underground cafe thing and everybody who was anybody was allowed to put their name on the list. And I know that there were about 50 because I think I was number 48. (laughs) I mean, I should have just left. What the hell was I hanging around for? (laughs) Oh, my God. And, you know, the English are talk about patience like they're they're so patient but that everybody in that room by the end of that night was so furious (laughs) leave them wanting more is what I'm saying leave people wanting more and this this is a little side note for poets themselves if you've been asked to do 10 minutes time yourself and plan for eight if you've been asked to do 15 do 12 Nobody is going to be sad that you didn't do the full amount of time. Leave people wanting more. And if you are ever tempted to turn to the MC and say, do I have time for one more? Just know that that is your cue to get off. <laughs> that means you've already gone on too long. <laughs> Probably. Almost, almost certainly. Okay, so that's the first thing. Timing. The second thing that I think makes a poetry reading really easy to enjoy is that it's predictable, by which I mean you can plan your evening around it. A lot of the time, the way poetry readings are planned and communicated to their audience is it's kind of this fluffy, like, oh, turn up this time and we'll do some stuff and hey, who knows what's going to happen, which is cool if you are Gertrude Stein and you're running a salon, but I think the unpredictability of that when it is something that's happening at a bar that you have caught to forms of public transport to get to, it just makes it really hard. It makes it pretty much impossible to invite people who are not already bought in to what's happening there because you you can't really turn to your friend and say, hey, come along to this thing. I have no idea when it's going to kick off or when it's going to end and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Uh, There might be some poetry that's good. I'm not sure about that either. I just think it's good if you know what to expect. It really is a relief. And look, I've been to events that break all these rules and they've been fun. I think there are ways to do it where the whole point is that it's ramshackle and unstructured. Again, this vision, this this idea of like the salon where everybody just kind of shows up and something is happening over in the corner and then something else happens of that. I don't know if that's that's ever really happened in the real world, but something a little bit shambolic can work. But I think as a general rule, we need to know what's coming. And just like a constraint in a poem, a constraint at an event means there's freedom to move within that. So if you know you've only got uh, 10 minutes per reader and you're only going to have a certain number of readers, then those readers know, okay, I've got this amount of time to play with. I'm just going to do my very best stuff and they're not going to waffle. So that's the second thing. Third thing, even more difficult to achieve than predictability and keeping it short, is making it comfortable making it an event that is not stressful (laughs) to be at. This, I think, is the job of the MC and the producers who are choosing the venue, 
this is more of an idea that I'm I'm taking from uh, a really really wonderful improviser who works here in Melbourne talks about the fact that the show starts when people enter the venue I really think that's true um, I think if you're an MC you want to be there you want to be welcoming people ideally maybe introducing people to each other breaking the ice in whatever way you can and choosing a venue where it's easy for people to mingle if they want to or maybe hang out a little bit on their own if they're not quite ready to do that and every little decision you make here matters the lighting matters the music matters and yes this sounds all incredibly precious but why do we just treat these performances as if they can just happen anywhere and it doesn't really matter why can't we treat a poetry reading as an actual performance like you would a theatre piece and again I am saying all this as somebody who ran an event that, that did not adhere to these rules. I, my venue was uh, a pizza restaurant and it did have a stage and it did have uh, lighting that I could sometimes get to work in the way that I wanted to and it did have music that I could kind of fade up and down a little bit and, you know, I, I really tried to make sure that everybody who was there felt welcomed and comfortable and tried to introduce people to each other. But there's a lot that you can't control. I mean, half the time I had an incredibly quiet, serious poet reading their most precious piece. And then there was a family in the back <laughs> with a kid um, screaming about the, the pizza that they they didn't want. And it was tough. Like, it was really tough. And if I, if I were going to do that work again... I would book a place where I had total control over the atmosphere because I think the work deserves that. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Again, I probably just sound really precious right now, but I think that if you are going to put poets in front of an audience, then that whole proposition should be worth everybody's time. Which brings me to the fourth thing that I thought about, which is that a good poetry reading should celebrate poetry, not people. So is there a way to include more people in the lineup other than just the poets that you've booked on the night? So can people read other people's work? Can you read other people's work as the MC or the producer? It's the norm, the standard at the moment for people to just read their own work. I think that's fine as far as it goes, but I think it would shift the atmosphere and the focus in a really interesting and exciting way if there was an expectation that everybody was going to have brought something else by somebody else to include someone else in that room who can't be there. Again, just in terms of the people who are going to get up at the mic, I think a good poetry reading also showcases people who actually want it. And by that, I mean people who really care about the performance of their poetry. And this is where I feel like I'm going to lose a lot of people because this is this is not a popular opinion, but I think the poets who are up at the mic should know what they're going to read and should like their work and be confident in their work. I don't know why that feels so tough to say. <laughs> it's just like, again, the expectation is that People will just rock up and 
the expectation is not that people are going to bring their A game necessarily. It's that, well, I've been asked to read some poems, so I guess I will. I don't think that does any of us any favours. Another thing, number six on my list, it's great if your event allows for more than just poetry, and by that I don't mean that you also have like an origami lesson or something like that. I just mean once the poetry's happened, can people hang around and chat afterwards? I, this was always everybody's favourite bit at the event that I used to run, and at every reading I've been to, that's where I have learned the most about poetry. I can remember going to an event at Collected Works years and years ago and there was a, a poet whose, whose name is, is not important to the story who was listing his influences and he listed many, many poets, all of whom were male. And I didn't actually clock this because <laughs> I just was like, yeah, of course, okay, that sounds like a list of important people, cool. But afterwards, I I left the venue and I, I went outside and I found a, a group of of um, female poets who were really annoyed. And I was, and they turned to me and they were like, oh, what did you think of that? And I was like, great, yeah, I liked it, really cool, um, good to see that guy read. And they were just like, yeah, but did you realize that he did not mention a single female poet <laughs> in his list of influences and you know my eyes were opened I was like oh yeah that probably is kind of important hey huh interesting um those little conversations are where stuff actually gets done that's where that's where things happen and I think this is actually a pretty easy thing to achieve just if you've got a venue that is going to allow people to hang out and chat a little bit afterwards, then make sure there's time for that. Make sure people aren't exhausted by that point um, and that they actually do want to hang around a little bit and chat to each other. Two other small things that I think would vastly improve what a poetry reading is. Along with your MC have somebody whose dedicated job it is to look after the sound and the microphone. How many times have you seen the poor MC or producer running up and back between their seat and the reader and fixing the mic stand? Or how many times have you seen a poet start to read and then have somebody in the back say, we can't hear you. That shouldn't be a point of friction. If we can avoid that, that would be amazing. It just makes everything that much more comfortable. Everything I've listed here I think is really, really straightforward. I haven't come up with any creative solutions at all, but these are basics that I think we could start with and then we could build from there and maybe come up with something, something even more exciting. Because look, maybe at this point, March 2022, we need to be asking, what is the point of a poetry reading? What are we there for? Are we there to soak in the language and to experience other people's work? Are we there to talk to other poets? Are we just there to hear what a certain poem sounds like when it's read out loud? In answering those questions, we might come to conclusions that, that change the nature of what we do.
So those are my recommendations. I'm not entirely confident in all of them, but I think that they might be good places to start or at least questions to consider. Because I wanted to get a second opinion, I did speak to the wonderful Eleanor. So many of you have gotten in touch about episode 150 with Eleanor. I am really proud of that conversation. If you enjoyed that episode, I really also recommend episode 101 where I rocked up at Eleanor's house and helped her get rid of some poetry books that had been causing her a bit of psychic pain. Um, yeah, she's, she's funny, she's a genius, and what she said about poetry readings, as always, as always with Eleanor, I, I couldn't disagree with. Her conclusion was that poetry readings are always going to be kind of bad and that they probably can't be saved. <laughs> she, made, she made a really excellent point about the static nature of being in the room as an audience member. There is a feeling that you are trapped, that this is a totally one-way exchange and that your job is to sit and listen to this language that is often quite difficult to take in. And you can't do anything. You can't move. You can't get up and leave. Jesus Christ. Like, that would be so rude. And the way Eleanor made this point was to compare that experience to the experience of listening to an audiobook or a podcast. When you listen to audio in that way, you can move around. You can control the volume. You can control the speed. You can pause it. I'm never happier than when I have one of my favorite podcasts and a long walk to go on or a pile of laundry to fold. I can just sink into what the person is saying in such a complete way when I have something else to do with my hands and my body. You can't do that in a poetry reading. And that's why all those other things that I just mentioned are really important because, again, poets are very patient people. You have an audience that are coming in with an expectation that they're going to be somewhat trapped. So honor that. <laughs> Take care of your trapped people. <laughs> In my medicine cabinet, the winter fly has died of old age. Well, here I am, 2 p.m. What day is it? So look, I completely understand why as a city and I'm guessing as a country we are going back to poetry readings the way they were in early 2020 before all this kicked off. People want to do their thing. They want to do their thing the way they were doing it before. They want to get back to what they remember feeling good. But I do think those conversations with poets over the last two years are worth mentioning. Everybody was saying to me that they didn't miss these events. So do we have an opportunity here? And are we going to use it? Poetry readings could be events where we get to know the poet as well as the poems. They could be events where we actually create a sense of community around work. They could be fun. I know that they could be fun because I've been to fun poetry readings. They could be welcoming. Again, I've been to poetry readings that have felt 
welcoming and they can sell they could celebrate the work i've also been to poetry readings that celebrate poetry as a thing and maybe if all those things were in place they could even be cool enough that you want to invite your friend who hates poetry or maybe is a little bit poetry curious <laughs> let's leave it at that maybe the people who hate poetry i don't know if i can help them but poetry curious people maybe they could come as of right now, I don't have an idea in terms of a format of what we could go for. I do think we could try to cover those basics and start to turn the ship around from there and maybe then get to the next iteration of what the poetry reading is. But yeah, I really think we have an opportunity. And again, if you are a producer, I'm talking to you as and an ex or maybe future producer i've i've done that work it's tiring it's thankless it's it's ex yeah it's really exhausting so i'm not having a go at you at all i'm i'm merely tabling these questions for your consideration and i could be completely wrong and please tell me if you think i'm wrong please tell me if you think um there are better ways to approach this if you have ideas of what this could actually look like you can get in touch with me at poetry says pod at gmail.com i had a beautiful email this week from a listener all the way over in canada it just absolutely made my week she said so many lovely things but one of the things she said was that she was very happy that i shared that email address because she was right on the verge of signing up for a twitter account so she could talk to me <laughs> Dear God, don't sign up for a Twitter account. Just, just send me an email. I would love to hear from you on this or any other episode. I'm going to leave you with Mike Myers' final poem from the movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer. He's really hot in this movie. I think there might be something wrong with me. <laughs> it's just kind of strangely attractive. Not really sure what to do with that, but um, there it is. Hard-hearted harbinger of haggis, beautiful, bemused, bellicose butcher, untrusting, unknowing, unlove, Ed. He screams into the night air like a fireman going to a window that has no fire. Except the passion of his heart. I am lonely. It's really hard. This poem sucks. 